Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Hope you're all having a great day. Hard to believe. Isn't it hard to believe that we're moving into August this month? Wow. This year went fast, didn't it? Uh, And always goes fast for me. Before we get started, I want a special shout-out to my friend, Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, I hope you're doing well. And I want to thank all of my listeners just for being so faithful to this show. And a special thanks to Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield and to Cavestro for sponsoring the show. Well, I'm very excited about the show today because we have a very exciting guest for everyone. Um, this is someone who is a member of the National Council on Disability, but really a national disability leader. And it is my pleasure to have Janny Lair-Stein as a guest. Janny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joyce, for inviting me on. Well, it's very exciting to have you today. Um, maybe I thought a good way from all of our listeners across the country. How about if you start by sharing with our listeners how you became involved in the disability community? Well, Joyce, like many people who find themselves members of the disability community, I pretty much landed as a person with a disability with very little warning. Washington blanketed in snow the first time I too see Washington in a blizzard, and I had an ordinary eye infection. So I was a daughter of the true north. I was raised in northern Canada and didn't understand that Washington pretty much shuts down at the first snowflake. But I managed to find an ophthalmologist, and he looked at my eyes, confirmed that I had an eye infection, and then he told me the words that I would never forget. He told me that in addition to an eye infection, I had a retinal degenerative disease and that I would probably be blind within six months. But he told me not to worry too much about that because most people like me go blind, get hit by a bus before we ever go totally blind. So that wow. was my introduction to the disability community. Wow. Wow, what a way to tell you that, huh? Okay, so what was your initial reaction? Well, I think like most people, my initial reaction was... Uh, just confusion. I need to understand what was happening and uh, to look at the various options that I had for treatment or cure. Um, I have something called retinitis pigmentosa, which is a degenerative retinal disease that is genetic and there is no current cure or treatment uh, that is known, although there is a lot of research that goes on. And I did what I think most people would do. I visited a number of top-notch medical facilities, including the National Institutes of Health outside of Washington, D.C., and I collected information and tried to learn the most about what my future was going to look like because until that moment, of course, I was pretty much at the top of my game, a young attorney just married and really anticipating a career in the law. Wow. I know what you mean because it is a shock. It's like me when I first found out I have epilepsy. I mean, all of a sudden, you're in the disability world. Uh, Fortunately, as I have, you, you know, have embraced this. You are an advocate, um, and that is why I think so highly of you. But you know what, Janie? 
Not all people become advocates. I mean, there are millions of people, as you and I well know, 50 million Americans living with disabilities, but only a few people decide, I'm going to be an advocate. So here's my question. Why did you make that decision? In some ways, Joyce, I think the decision made me. Um, After I was diagnosed, I spent a period of time trying to adjust to that concept that I was a person with a disability. But as I'm sure you know and likely agree, there is no one definition for any person, including a person with a disability. And so I came to understand as time passed, and I did not immediately go blind, although I did go blind over time, that really what was the most important thing was for me to live my life to the best of my ability, to demonstrate my capabilities, and to come to know and understand other people with disabilities in my environment who are truly some of the most inspirational and capable people I have ever had the privilege to know. So it seemed a logical next step once I truly understood that disability is certainly part of whom I am, but it doesn't define what I do or what I believe or what I can achieve to go to that next level and try to help everyone around me understand that Americans with disabilities, anybody with a disability, is like everybody else. And we all have our own talents, our own strengths, and our own potential. And it's up to us really, to ensure that we live up to that potential. All right. Here's a question that I have, Jannie. When, when you were diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, what, how did people react to you? In other words, people that knew you prior as a person who could see, did you see a difference the way that people reacted to you? Well, because I went blind over a period of time, it was a much more gradual process than happens to some people who become disabled as a result of a, an accident or some other um, event that has occurred in their life. But I did, over time, sense those differences. I am fortunate that I've always been surrounded by a very supportive family, both my immediate family, my husband, later on my children, my mother, and my extended family who didn't really treat me any differently because I think they felt their job was to help support me to be sure that I could achieve my life's goals, even though I was a person with a disability. Over time, though, as my disability became obvious, as I was uh, parenting my young children, as I was uh, moving in the professional world, I did sense some people who, while they were never unkind, perhaps were a little paternalistic, and often I would hear people say things to me like, I'll do this for you because you can't do that, whereas I prefer to be able to make that attempt, and then if I need assistance in achieving something, I can reach out for that support. Yes, Um, and do you find, Jannie, that here you are, this brilliant attorney, but do you find there are people, in addition to being patronizing, that feel sorry for you, you know, this pity pity thing that hits people with disabilities? I think the pity thing is something that comes from within, to a certain extent, for some members of the disability community, and also is something that some people try to exert from without. So, for me, when... People say things to me like, I I can't believe you have to deal with this, or it must be so hard for you to not be able to read or 
to see your beautiful children's faces or whatever it is that, that they feel is something important that I'm missing. Um, I think my reaction always is to really focus on the enrichment that has occurred in my life as a result of becoming a disability advocate. And there's no question, I miss reading, I miss driving, I miss seeing my beautiful children's faces. But there are other things in life that we have and we can do. And so when I feel that expression of pity, um, very often I end up feeling sorry for the person who's telling me that they feel sorry for me because I've had a remarkable experience, an incredible life, um, being surrounded by my family who support me, my profession who supported me, and this very rich tapestry of people with disabilities with whom I've been, been involved. Well, that is the awesome way to be because um, I do have people say things to me like that, but I often give them the benefit of the doubt thinking they just don't understand. Uh, but hopefully, you know, as we work with more people, we will be able to educate people that people with disabilities can do what other people do. But right now, we're going to get ready to go to break. Hey, if you just joined us, we are talking today to Jenny Lehrer-Stein, who is a member of the National Council on Disability and a national disability rights leader. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Janny. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back everyone. We're talking to Jannie Larestein who is a member of the National Council on Disability, and it is so wonderful to have her with us. Uh, Janie, as a person who is blind, 
I wanted to ask you what you believe are the major stigmas, and, and you can just also move on to, you know, not just for you, but why do you think in general people with disabilities have such a difficult time gaining employment? Well, thank you for that question, Joyce, because I think that issues of people with disabilities and the ability to work are really at the very center of the remaining barriers for Americans with disabilities. Uh, we've been very fortunate. You know, we are entering the second quarter century under the Americans with Disabilities Act, and we live in a country that understands and recognizes that Americans with disabilities have the same rights and privileges as all other Americans, and those rights include the ability to work. Um, but I think you are correct in sensing that there is continuing hesitation among many people, including employers, about hiring Americans with disabilities. Uh, the stigmas that surround being a person who is blind uh, focus on perhaps hesitation in hiring someone who is blind because we can't drive, we can't read, and uh, so those qualifications are something that you have to create accommodations for. Um, other people with other disabilities also need accommodations, and I think perhaps at the beginning of the ADA, employers were worried that accommodations would take a lot of extra time or cost a lot of extra money. But we're fortunate that we live in this age of incredible technology, and what we have discovered over time is that accommodations often don't cost a lot of money and they don't take a lot of time and what employers discover is that when they hire Americans with disabilities, we're among the hardest working, always present employees you could ask for. So whether it's just using a different kind of light bulb in a room where people need a different kind of ambient light or making sure that an employee has the right kind of technology that allows them to access the, the web, the way I, I access the web by using a, a screen reader for my computer or something else that really enables an American with a disability to work, I always think it's, it's incredibly worthwhile and quite enriching to the working environment to have people with disabilities integrated fully and with the accommodations necessary to allow them to be part of the fabric of American life. And you know what, Janie, some of the barriers, I'm going to give you one example, is that people think people with disabilities will be inferior at the job and not perform at the same level. I mean, this is what I've heard people say. Um, and in studies, this is what companies have said. You know, why do you think that is? Well, perhaps it's just a matter of people not understanding differences. I want to think we live in a time right now, this is the 21st century, where we truly understand that differences are things that should be valued in every person, whether they have a disability or not. So there are differences in the way I approach my work. I do use a computer that has a screen reader. I do use a, a mobile phone that has some extra applications that allow me to interact, to do things like sort my currency when I'm out using money, to uh, communicate using uh, text-to-speech software. But that's just a, a different way that I have of interacting with the world. So 
some of this, I think, is a holdover from the old medical model uh, that people used to think about, people with disabilities as charity cases or people that needed to be pitied or needed to be brought along. But the fact of the matter is Americans with disabilities are like anybody. We have that ability, we have our talents, and we are super eager to participate, which makes us very often the best employees that an employer could ask for. Oh, yes. I always say that if you've been oppressed, if you've been left behind, hey, look, you know, here we are, 26 years from when the ADA was written and so many great barriers. As you know, Tony was one of the authors, Tony Coelho of the ADA uh, and Tom Harkin, and you can see so many barriers that have come down. And Tony Coelho did so much you know, to make this happen. He really did. Um, And yet, the one needle that has not moved is, in fact, employment. You know, we have curb cuts. We have Braille on elevators. We have houses that are accessible, um, buildings that are accessible, transportation, so many things, but not employment. So I believe that, as you said, will be the centerpiece and focus of the disability community as we move forward, because to me, if you don't have employment, there won't be a need for transportation or for housing or for any of those other things. You know, do you agree with that, Jannie? I do agree with that, and I think that I would really appreciate all of our listeners uh, thinking hard about ways in which Americans with disabilities can play a more central role in the private and the public center in terms of employment. We've been very fortunate under the Obama administration that President Obama has taken this issue very much to heart. And the Department of Labor has seen advances that have been made in the seven and a half years of President Obama's administration. And we're very grateful both for his inclusion in terms of pushing forward to have Americans with disabilities hired into the federal workforce as well as creating incentives like the one that has been established that incentivizes private employers to have 7% of their employees as employees with disabilities and part of their workforce in order to engage with federal contracts. So there are ways to incentivize employment, but it's also critically important, as I said previously, that we appreciate everyone's differences, that we not make assumptions that people can't do something until we really understand what we can do to put the supports in place to enable everyone to reach their full potential. Yes, I, I agree with you 100%. And then you know there are people with hidden disabilities. And in a lot of companies, they are not self-disclosing for fear, you know, being discriminated against. But one thing that has just catapulted at least the beginnings of wanting to hire people with disabilities is what you mentioned, which is Secretary Perez and President Obama uh, getting out the final rules for Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act. As everyone knows, my whole life is employment, and there are companies calling me that never called before. You know, you see the wheels really moving uh, with the 7% aspirational goal that the Secretary of Labor put out. Uh, In addition to that, you know, the 100,000 people being hired in the federal government, but even recently, 
President Obama continuing to mention people with disabilities. I maintain he has done so much for the disability community, and I believe that once companies start hiring people with disabilities, that's what's going to make all the change. I certainly hope so. Well, there's no other way to change the work face of America than to see other people with disabilities, you know, working right by your side. Um, But, hey, you are on the board of the National Council on Disability. Um, I wonder if you could do two things. First, tell everyone what it is, uh, what they do, and then how you get appointed. Uh, Certainly. So the National Council on Disability is an independent federal agency that advises the President, Congress, and the nation on disability policy issues. Uh, When I was appointed by President Obama in the spring of 2011, this was a uh, council that was created and made up of 15 individual council members from across the nation, diverse in terms of geography, age, gender, disability, and expertise, and we were at that time Senate-confirmed. Last year, the Workforce Innovations and Opportunity Act changed the council, and currently we are a council made up of nine members, uh, five of whom were appointed by the president and four of whom are appointed by Congress and the Senate. So I am at the end of my second term. I was reappointed in 2014 to a second term on the National Council on Disability, and we spend our time trying to anticipate, to highlight, and to create awareness around uh, issues and the way that the federal government and the nation, including the private sector, can help to improve the quality of life for Americans with disabilities. Now, as to how I came to be a part of the National Council on Disability, I need to go back to the incredible words of President Obama. And I watched along with hundreds of millions of others when he gave his acceptance speech uh, on that very windy platform outside in Chicago in 2008. And President Obama said these words. He said that equal opportunities belong to everyone regardless of their age, their gender, or whether they have a disability. And I had never before heard a president of our nation speak directly to my issues, and it felt as though he was talking directly to me. So I became interested in becoming involved uh, in the national arena in terms of disability policy, and I started investigating ways in which I could be involved, and it turned out that President Obama and his transition team were looking for experienced people with education and disabilities who wanted to engage with the new administration. And after a period of time in which uh, we engaged in the application and then the Senate confirmation process, I then was appointed to the National Council on Disability in June of 2011, and I've been there ever since. Wow, that is wonderful. And that is also uh, prestigious. I'm sure you were very uh, excited to be appointed. It's a great privilege to be a member of the National Council on Disability uh, because there is a lot of work uh, that still needs to be done to ensure, as you mentioned, that Americans with disabilities are part of the employment fabric of this nation and to deal with the remaining barriers, but also to look ahead with a lot of enthusiasm to new opportunities that are opening up for people with disabilities. Well, 
I am glad that I, I did have a question before I move on. Do you have a book you publish or some publication every year? Um, the National Council on Disability uh, undertakes to do its work both by uh, issuing a number of reports and also by participating uh, with sister agencies in forums and with the White House. But we have something called the Progress Report, which kind of sounds like the report card that you get when you go to school, but it is our statutory obligation. And every year we issue a report that details the progress that has increased occurred with respect to Americans with Disabilities uh, from the National Council on Disabilities. So we will have a progress report coming out this year sometime in October, and this year we're, we're dealing with the issue of emerging technology, which is fascinating. Well, that is great. Do you have a website people can go to? Absolutely. You can access the progress report and all of the publications from the National Council on Disability by visiting us on the web at ncd.org. G-O-V, stands for National Council on Disability, dot government. All right, thanks so much. And you know what, folks? We're getting ready to go to break again. Once again, if you just joined us, we're talking to Janie Lear-Stein, who is on the National Council on Disability and a national disability rights leader. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. Voiceamerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than three million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Janie Lair-Stein, who is a member of the National Council on Disability and a disability rights leader. Uh, and Janie, the National Council on Disability, I know you have various initiatives that you work on um, and bring to light to the president and Congress and the nation in general. Uh, could you go over with us what some of those issues are this year? 
Well, thanks, Joyce. There are some really remarkable issues that are underway this year. We very recently published a report on the autonomous vehicle, the self-driving car, and the implications that that has for people with disabilities. And it it has a personal impact on me because as a a blind American, the transportation issue has always been something of a challenge in my life and where it can certainly be worked out. The concept that we will soon, very soon, we hope, within the next five to ten years, have these self-driving cars on the roads opens up tremendous opportunities and potential for Americans with disabilities. So that's one area that we've been very active in, and we are grateful that the White House has recognized that report and recently conducted a hearing that took place to discuss the infrastructure that needs to be put into place to speed that along. We also, this year, will be looking at a couple of issues that are things that have been discussed very broadly in American society recently, uh, that being the issue of uh, supporting mental health on college campuses. And in our next progress report in 2017, we will be looking to address the issue of poverty in America for Americans with disabilities. So those are the major topics that are underway right now. And... When you do that, what do you do, a lot of research, or how does that work? Well, we do it a couple of different ways. Mostly we engage with other experts in the country. We survey the literature that has um, been uh, published on the topic. Sometimes we conduct surveys and uh, take the temperature of Americans with disabilities across the country. Uh, recently, we did uh, one such survey when we looked at the impact of the Help America Vote Act, which was an act that was passed in order to provide supports to Americans with disabilities who wanted to vote, and we did a a survey that really involved us uh, going across the country and understanding uh, what was working and what was not working in terms of making voting accessible to Americans with disabilities, and I can tell you that I, with great pride and joy, voted privately and independently for the first time in my life in the 2014 election. So uh, it was wonderful to see the great work of the Obama administration and also to understand the contribution that the NCD had made to be able to impact lives. And in this case, it, it was my own life that was impacted. So I was particularly proud of that moment. And it, it meant a lot to me to be able to vote privately and independently for the first time. Well, you know what? We have a caller on the line right now. We have Stacy on the line from Newark. Stacy, are you with us? Hi, Mrs. Bender. Hello. I'm good. How are you, Stacy? I am doing great. Uh, it's so nice to hear your voice. Thank you. Nice to hear yours. Okay, so Stacy is a young leader with a disability uh, who is just a phenomenal young woman. And Stacy, you have a question for uh, our guest today? Yes, I do. Um, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show today. I've been listening um, from the beginning, and I know that you had mentioned that you're an attorney, which I think is fantastic. Um, I'm visually impaired myself, and I'm actually interested in pursuing careers related to medicine. Um, What is your advice for young um, women like myself who um, have disabilities who want to um, pursue professional careers? That's such a wonderful question, Stacey. Thank you for listening to the show and thank you for asking that question. I believe that you actually are on the very threshold of one of the most important issues 
that Americans with disabilities face because, as I'm, I'm sure you probably know, the medical and health industries are the booming industries in our nation right now, and Americans with disabilities are actually underrepresented in that area. So if you have an interest in that area, and that makes you a woman who is interested in what we refer to as, as STEM, right, the science um, area, um, but also science, technology, and mathematics, then I really encourage you to pursue the field of your choice with your full energy. You know, we talked a little bit before about the fact that it is really capability, not disability, that matters and enables us to achieve our potential and to live fulfilled careers and fulfilled personal lives. So I say go get them, Stacey. If this is an area you're interested in, then I think you should pursue it with your whole heart, mind, and spirit. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I just want to add one thing, Stacy. I'm glad that Janie brought that up about the STEM area. You know, I work with two intelligence agencies, and they are always looking for U.S. citizens with a background in math or engineering or computer engineering. And we need more young people with disabilities to go that direction because I know that, you know, this is a talent pool that has not been accessed. So um, I agree with her. And also, listen, thank you for calling in. Thank you. And that is so true. I have... Uh, I work with two different intelligence agencies, and they just cannot find enough people, U.S. citizens, to work for them. And um, I just know that that will be the thing that can make a big difference if they realize there's another talent pool and if people with disabilities realize the opportunities for them if they follow down that path. I think that's right, Joyce. You know, the the STEM field is an ever-expanding field, not only in America but across the world, and it is already well-known and recognized that this is, as a booming area, is an area in which Americans with disabilities are underrepresented. We know from the amendments that have been made to the Americans with Disabilities Act just six years ago now um, that this is also an area where emphasis is being placed in order to enable young emerging leaders like Stacy and others to be able to participate. So I think with uh, energetic young minds like Stacy's and the commitment of the American people to provide accommodations and to be inclusive, we are going to be facing a, a boom in the medical and health areas and also in the science and technology areas. Yes, and anyone listening to this show, I hope you follow that lead because I'm telling you, it will be something that would make such a big difference in the area of employment for Americans with disabilities. Um, well, I wanted to ask you a question here. Jannie, you, you've just been so successful, and you're such a good leader, and you're so independent and so bright and have just dealt with your disability, um, as you said, just focusing on your ability um, and yet realizing that we have a culture of people with disabilities, though, and we're proud of it. Um, so someone had to impact you, and I wanted to ask you who you consider your role model. Well, there's no question that there are amazing personalities that have really been the trailblazers 
when it comes to disability rights advocates and Americans with disabilities. As you mentioned earlier, Tony Quello, Senator Harkin are the two major figures who really were the trailblazers in ensuring that the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed. And uh, as time has passed, that, that the act's enforcement has been made clear and that we have evolved from that old medical model of people who needed to be given charity to, to individuals who can really exercise our full potential and power. Um, so there's no question that Tony and Senator Harkin are uh, incredible role models in this area. I want to also mention someone else, and that is my mom, because I am privileged and honored to have a mother who has always believed that uh, despite my disability, I could really uh, achieve what I, I, I set my heart out to achieve. And uh, my mother and many other parents with disabilities uh, really have to come at this from a very unique perspective. My mother has not only one daughter who is going blind, but two. My younger sister also is impacted by this disease. And whereas I have always had the luxury of knowing my own mind and being able to go out and exercise uh, my power and potential and do what I believed I was capable of achieving, I want to just recognize and thank all the parents of Americans with disabilities who have been the strong supporters in the background and I'm sure have spent nights worrying but also been able to celebrate our accomplishments. Yes, and it is also parents of disabilities that I agree with you 100% because they make all the difference in believing you can accomplish anything that a person would be able to that uh, does not have a disability. Um, and, hey, if you just joined us, listen, you can go back and hear this show. They, the shows are archived at www.benderconsult.com and at voiceamerica.com. So if you know someone you think, wow, they would love this show, maybe a person who is blind or just a disability leader or a person with a disability, a business person, no matter who it is, send them back to this show. So before we close the show, we're going to take another break, and we'll be right back. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be back with Janny. Don't go away. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. Voiceamerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Since 1985, 
Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high test line of service. For more information, please visit www.vendorconsult.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. We've been talking to Janie Lehrstein, and one of the things we've talked about is how in with President Obama, how, you know, he's talked about people with disabilities. I'm sure you saw the recent Democratic Convention and saw Anastasia, a young woman with a disability, on stage. Oh, it was so awesome. And Senator Harkin talking about the, uh, the anniversary of the ADA and in sign language te- teaching everyone how to say America. So in keeping with this, I have a special treat for you. Um, I have some words for you from Secretary Clinton. So let's go with that. You know, uh, the rights of uh, people with disabilities is something that I care uh, deeply about, and we've got to do much more than we're doing. I tried really hard to get the um, UN negotiated uh, convention on the rights of people with disabilities to pass our Senate, because it's a treaty, and we, we couldn't get it through the Republicans, and it was such a disappointment. Uh, their attitude was, we're not signing on to anything that the UN does, which is kind of strange since air traffic control and postal systems and a lot of other stuff actually have some UN connection. But that's the level of you know, Tea Party mentality that unfortunately we are uh, living with. And so I want us to do much more here at home. I still want to get the convention uh, agreed to. So I think there are a number of things. Specifically with respect to autism, as you know, I've laid out a plan. I'm the only person running for president. I did it in 08. I've done it again this time because we've got to do much more. We have to do much more on research, early intervention, job training, housing, the whole range of uh, benefits and opportunities that need to be available to people on the spectrum. So that's going to be a high priority for me, and I'm glad you're here talking about it. When it comes to jobs, um, we've got to figure out how we get the minimum wage up and include people with disabilities in the minimum wage. There should not be uh, a tiered wage. And right now, there is a tiered wage when it comes to facilities that do provide opportunities, but not at a self-sufficient wage that enable people to gain a degree of independence as far as they can go. So I want us to take a hard look at raising the minimum wage and ending the, the tiered minimum wages, whether it's for people with disabilities or 
Uh, the tipped wage, which is a real outrage. If any of you know what the tipped wage is, I see a head nodding in the second row. For those of you who don't, in a lot of states, if you work in a service industry where you can receive tips, like a waitress in a hair salon, a bartender or barber, you can legally be paid as little as $2.13 an hour. What is it here? What? $2.35. $2.35. It's a big improvement from $2.13. Uh, we're really on the upward trajectory here. And so you've got millions of people who are totally dependent on tips that may or may not make up even a minimum wage, let alone beyond. So we've got these differentials in the minimum wage that I would like to see us do away with. When people talk about raising the minimum wage, they don't always talk about the legal uh, uh, whole, the legal loopholes that we have in it, and I want to get rid of those, and I want to get rid of that for people with disabilities, too. And if you, do, and we so appreciate Secretary Clinton sending that to me, which, by the way, just so you know, is not just being played on this show, but every show, um, so it's not being endorsed by uh, Janie, it is being played by me and Voice America, um, and we really do appreciate Secretary Clinton taking time to send this uh, to me so that we could play this uh, on the show because she wanted people to know about her commitment to people with disabilities. But in case you don't know, 14C is sub-minimum pay for people with disability, and the disability rights community in general, Republican, Democrat, have been fighting to end that. Isn't that correct, Janie? It is correct. Thank you. Um, 14C is a law that was uh, passed back in the 1930s, and it was back in the time when uh, there were assumptions being made about people with disabilities that we were somehow ill or sick or weak. And uh, there has been a movement afoot, and there, in fact, was a, a report that was issued by NCD a few years ago that laid out a framework for making sure that Americans with disabilities um, have the ability to receive uh, fair and equal pay for the work that they engage in. So it's a, a complex issue, and it's one that the Obama administration has paid great attention to, and I'm very optimistic that uh, certainly over a period of years we are going to be able to enter into a time where uh, Americans with disabilities are given full and e equal pay for the work that they engage in. Yes, and Janie, before we go, you know, I'm thinking about your background, attorney, everything you've accomplished. Now you're an NCD, National Disability Rights Leader. Uh, you have done so much and accomplished so much. But if you had to choose something, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? My, it's an interesting question because I, I feel so privileged to have led this life and to have engaged with the incredible community of Americans with disabilities. But I think I would take that back to my role uh, as a parent and my membership at the National Council on Disability. In 2012, we issued a report called Rocking the Cradle, and it dealt with uh, rights of parents with disabilities, something we've already touched on. And it was shocking to me to learn at the time that there were more than 35 states 
if you lived in one of those states, there was a presumption that if you were uh, a parent with a disability, you were unfit to parent. And that had implications for things like domestic or international adoption, reproductive rights, uh, child welfare, and child custody. So it really impacted the very fundamental values of the American family. And uh, that report was uh, a really a, a means for opening the door for a dialogue on this issue and uh, proof positive that Americans with disabilities can be parents just like everyone else. So I, I would say that it is that report and the work that continues to come out of it, to draft legislation in the states, a recent White House forum, and a true focus on the fact that these presumptions are not the correct presumptions, that we are equally capable of being parents that I am most proud of. Well... No surprise to me that would be your answer, Janie. And I want to thank you again. I mean, I just think so highly of you. And, you know, as a woman living with epilepsy uh, in behalf of all people with disabilities, thank you for your leadership and for, for working and fighting the fight for us. As you well know, nothing about us without us, right? Absolutely. Thank you, Joyce, for everything you do. So, Janie, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? I think I want to go back to that young, energetic voice I heard asking me that question on the phone a few moments before. You know, I think that advice is is as simple as dreaming your dream. You know, every single one of us that is fortunate enough to grow up in this country and be part of the American nation is uh, the benefactor of that American dream, the concept that we can uh, grow up as members of our family and of our community and uh, serve our family members and our nation. So I really believe that because of the advances in technology, the tolerance that is present in this country uh, towards everybody, regardless of their differences, and uh, the future that we have in front of us in terms of working together, um, that Americans with disabilities can achieve what they set out to achieve as their personal dream. And I'm very grateful to the families, supporters, caregivers, and colleagues that uh, really embrace Americans with disabilities and uh, include us. And I think that inclusion is something that we need to respect, to value, and to build on. Well, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, we end every show with a quote, and this quote today is one of my favorite. The greatest glory in living lies not in never failing or falling, but in rising every time you do fall, said Nelson Mandela. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.